Hello. Before you hear from Rob and Stan, I'd just like you to know that Reimagining Cyber is now 100 episodes old. The show is now a regular in the Apple charts and is one of the most respected podcasts in the cybersecurity world. Now, Rob and Stan and our great guests can, of course, take much of the credit for this, but on behalf of them, I'd like to thank you for regularly downloading and sharing the podcast and giving us valuable feedback, all of which helps us make the show better and better. And if you're feeling generous and want to give us a present for such a landmark achievement, I suggest that you leave a rating or a review wherever you get your podcasts. Now on with the show. So this is Stan with Reimagining Cyber. I'm here with Rob with another episode. Stan, how is it going today? It's going all right. I mean, again, I, I think the, the the weather has changed here in Virginia. Uh, I see that. I see. I can see your window behind you, and I see the leaves coming down. And I was actually just looking at my window. It's one of those days with that wind gust comes through and it t- starts taking down these leaves rather quickly. It's the depressing part of the year where you have done all this work. <laughs> picking up the leaves, and then you see all these other leaves piling on top. And it's like, I just had the yard cleaned. So yes, wow. yes, it's, that time of year. It's the reality that we're also a month away from the potential white stuff starting to drop in the ground. Hey, and if I, you lived in Denver, it, it's already there. Oh, yeah, yeah. There you go. Today, we'll be talking about the SEC rule on cybersecurity that is actually going into effect in December. And it's sort of like revisiting it, right, Rob? I mean, we've talked about this before. That's right. That's right. We, t- we talked about it actually at the very beginning of the year when um, it was being proposed, right, Stan? But now it's not proposed anymore. It's actually moving forward. It was adopted, yes. Yeah. So so we covered it very early part of the year. We, um, you know, it, then it was adopted in the midsummer timeframe and uh, mid-December, uh, it's going into effect, right? And, and I think it's important just to kind of revisit some of the key areas of the uh, the SEC cyber rule that 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 really people are kind of wrapping their heads around right now. You know, the the first one is um the disclosure period, right? And that that's actually set with a four business day time frame associated to what's kind of def- referred to as a uh, a cyber incident that is deemed to be uh material. So it has some significant impact either on financial or operations of that organization. So, so let's just pause there and break that down. Mm-hmm. First off, do you personally think that four days is enough time to confirm a breach and understand its impact and be able to coordinate notifications? I mean, I've, I, I, that's, a, that's a very rapid response. I agree. It, it, it's a very, very tight window to get, you know, kind of all that set of detail included because they're, they're looking – you know, they're looking for details around, you know, what the actual scope is of this breach, the, you know, the, the actual timing interval. And, and you know, that's that's a very, very difficult task, you know, I think for majority of organizations to try to adhere to. And we all know that, you know, that the first announcement of a breach or understanding that a breach has occurred usually is not the um, the way we end up understanding what happened, sure. right? I mean, there there's, there is a lag in that understanding of how the breach occurred, what the impact is. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's going to be interesting as far as how the SEC handles this, probably a trickle of information coming in of initial notification, but recognize, hopefully they recognize that that impact assessment is going to continue to evolve as they continue to respond to the incident. No, absolutely. And I think that, you know, we're kind of starting to see some indications of that, but, you know, the, the biggest thing that came out of this too was, What's the definition of materiality? 
right? Right. right? What does that really and, mean? And, and it's it's still a bit gray, of course. We'll figure it out as we go along the way. But you know, the way it's defined really is it, it is some sort of kind of um, real, you know, major impact from a financial or operational point of view. Typically, what it ties back into is, um, you know, what that public organization would have shared and notified their shareholders of through an 8K. And again, they're also needing to actually file an 8K in association right. to this breach occurring and this this material event occurring, let's call it. Um, the other thing, though, that was interesting at the very beginning of when they pr- were proposing this was the the potential that there was going to be an actual, you know, cybersecurity person that had to be having a seat on the board, part of the committee, right? They, they literally had to be someone that was a cybersecurity uh, individual of some sorts. They kind of leaned back a little bit when they actually, you know, uh, adopted it again over the summer timeframe. And now it's more of, you know, sharing what relevance uh, and experience someone may have in the area of cybersecurity that is part of your, you know, your management committee, your board, and so on. So kind of, you know, they, they peeled it back a bit. Their, their proficiency, basically, in Correct. cybersecurity. And I think the challenge there is that y- you may have one or more board members that have a high-level understanding of cybersecurity, right? But how much true awareness do they have of what the organization's doing? Yeah, yeah completely. And, and so, I mean, it, it, it's, it's, it's like they may be able to report to the SEC that, yes, we have a, a board member that has awareness of cybersecurity based on a previous role at another organization, mm-hmm. But is that really as relevant in the context of today, the, the, the responsibilities they have in this organization for which they're a board member? They may be able to understand the context of an incident better, right. but they may not have true insight into um, what the controls yeah. are and how they are not be affected. Absolutely, because I mean, they, they, you know, their particular role and duty for that board could be completely different than what it was at some other, you know, uh, organization that they actually sat on with a kind of technology, if you will, voice at the table, right? So absolutely. Um, one of the things I think is really interesting to see is Clorox and the the security incident that occurred there and the approach that they've taken as it relates to the SEC cyber ruling. They're, they're, they're almost a test case at this point. So they actually- I'm not, I, I'm, I'll, be, I'll be honest, I'm not familiar with what Clorox is doing. So, yeah, yeah, so what, what are they doing? So with their security incident that occurred uh, again over the summer timeframe, Clorox actually has released three separate 8K filings. Okay, The first one was in the uh, mid-August timeframe where it was the notification that there is a material event that has occurred and that has actually been attributed to some sort of cyber incident that's impacting their operations, right? So again, back to materiality, that is deemed as a material event that's kind of you know something that they typically would have done in some sort of case to communicate via an 8K. Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's, there's an issue that's happened. Um, so step one, they got that out the door. And uh, and that's kind of the statement, right? Just just general, there's a cyber incident, right? It was- Okay, so so they're really not even trying to- More details. Estimate nope, the impact. It was an announcement. Okay. We, we've raised our hand. We're acknowledging that something's going on. We're sharing that there's something and it's under investigation. And, and it basically was, we've, we've initiated working with third party to assist us, right? Fast forward about a month later, mid-September or so timeframe, um, they provided a general update that it's kind of still under investigation and what's happening. The last one, beginning of this month of October, they're going through and they're actually sharing their Q1 fiscal 24 
preliminary results, their financial results. So I'm going to call out a couple areas that they've filed within that 8K and how it impacts their business from a cyber perspective. So they Mm -hmm. explicitly are calling out here that their operations update following the previously announced cybersecurity attack that impacted their company's business translated into net sales that have decreased or expected to decrease by 28 to 23% year over year. This is due to the impacts of the cyber attack that was disclosed in August. So again, they explicitly are calling that out. Gross margin now expected to be down from year a quarter and the impact again attributed to the cyber security attack that's taken place, the impact on the specific offset of the pricing benefits that they've had in the past, the cost savings, the supply chain optimization, right? Diluted net earnings per share. Adjusted EPI. I mean, it goes on and on. And it's specifically each time, each of these bullet points. They cite back cite to, right back to the cyber yeah. incident. So that's why I say this is kind of almost like that initial case study of what we're seeing in the way that they've gone through. It's, kind of, it's pretty good if you think about it, what they've done. Right, right. right. And um, But then again, what the ramifications you're starting to see are on that financial operational. You know, Which are huge. Huge, huge, right? I think I think one of the other things that um, may be a, a sleeper here is obviously the the current round of cybersecurity rules and the and what the SEC has responsibility for is directly impacting public right. companies, mm-hmm. right? And all private companies though need to have their <laughs> you know ears up here because the SEC does have a willingness to stretch their your regulatory perimeter over to include private companies. And there was that case this last year um, where a lawsuit involved the private law firm Covington and Burling and the SEC demanded the names of the clients caught up in the cyber Mm. attack. And so they really, you know, it's not a, it's not a public firm and yet the SEC is getting involved and asking for more. Far reaching. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I think when we talked about this, again, earlier this year when it was proposed, you know, I believe we both kind of looked at it as this is where they were trying to really start putting some teeth on getting, you know, cyber quote unquote regulation put in place because everything's going to kind of piecemeal with different regulatory bodies. Right. And, and so this is a way for them to really kind of drop the hammer. Now we'll see, you know, kind of where these things go and these examples and penalties um, happen. One thing to call out though, is it's important to understand this is obviously, as you mentioned, specific to public companies. They are giving these smaller entities, and I don't know the specific thresholds, um, but the smaller kind of business entities, six-month reprieve. So they won't be kicking in until mm. June of next year. Um, yeah. So, you know- Where's that Where Where's that cutoff I don't, for a small- I don't know. I didn't see the specific detail of the thresholds kind of associated to how they're cutting that that off and giving them that, that additional yeah. time frame. But, but one additional area that ties back into this whole topic- is um, you know the Fair Institute has done a lot of work in the past. I know you know this from cyber risk quantification, right? Putting in place models and frameworks to support and help people with that. Um, and they came out with their own now uh, Fair Institute, if you will, ma- materiality assessment model. 
And it covers, I believe, mm-hmm. about 10 different kind of focus areas, um, you know, things around impacts for, you know, lost revenue, uh, disruption to your business, uh, fraud is part of that, uh, reputational damage is part of that, and, and it goes on. Um, then it extends, and this is really interesting, so it extends to kind of, um, they, they launched a website called How Material Is That Hack? And they currently have five examples up there of, uh, again, where there's 8K filings attributed to, so you have Clorox, you have MGM, Caesars, and a couple others. Um, and what they do- And they and, and Caesars and MGM also did their 8Ks? They did. They did. Already. Yep. Okay. Oh, yeah. Good. Oh, yeah. So, so what they did, uh, the Fair Institute did on this on this website is again, you know, take it with a grain of salt. It's early. They're trying to do some interpretation, if you will. But what they're doing is they're trying to show what the actual um, estimated loss would equate to, and based on the information that they've seen. You know, again, I mentioned the Clorox findings, right? Is what they're putting out there as part of their earnings report. And so, if you take a look, you know, with what they've put for Clorox, they're saying that the estimated loss. Will range somewhere between about 225 million to 200 and close to 70 million or so, right? And and they do things in a way which is kind of interesting. They do like a um, a primary and a secondary cost model. So the primary costs are things that you can attribute back towards loss of revenue, uh, increasing your operational costs, uh, your, your response costs to the incident, right? The secondary costs are more so like you know could be some legal ramifications, legal fees, penalties, uh, reputational damage, which is tough to measure, but that's kind of how they sure. categorize that. If you take a look at MGM and then Caesar, so if you look at MGM, MGM's number is most likely to be 200 to about uh, 250 or so million. Caesar's is the one that actually said, hey, we're going to actually pay the ransom and continue to operate. We can't take the impact. Their actual most likely costs are right around at the high $100 million. Whereas MGM, because 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 I, I, I think the ransom was like thirty million, yeah, right? And I and, and there may be other costs associated with the incident, but it wasn't a, a big operational cost to them in the end. Correct. And you take a look at again now MGM, and MGM is close to about three hundred million proposed impact financially, and we all know kind of what happened there and the elongated time frame and impacts and negotiation didn't go so hot, if you will. But again, you know, everyone makes their own decisions on how they're going to deal with these incidents. It's just showing some different kind of relative metrics and costs on what those impacts could equate to. So it's interesting as, as far as how we, in the past, when you try to assess a, a, the impact of a breach or a potential breach, many times we leverage the Panaman kind yeah. of estimate of, you know, how much per sensitive record the cost mm-hmm. is. And then you determine how much sensitive information potentially you are processing or storing. And then you can come up with a, 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 a swag at what the potential breach cost would be for that organization. This, I think, sounds like it's a bit better of approach as far as more comprehensive than just being tied to the data. Yeah, I think I think so. Again, it's still early, right? They, they, they just launched this. But um I think if you look at some of the risk calculations that they've put in there, again, they, they reference it back to their, their um, they call it the MAM, the materiality assessment model. And they, they they map it out to those 10 different areas and then the subcategories within mm-hmm. those 10 different categories, if you will. Um, and each of those is where you have kind of a sliding bar of making the projected cost associations. So you can kind for of play. Exactly. So you can kind yeah. of play with what those potentially could look like for you. They're making, again, these proposed numbers that they're putting out there based off of what they're seeing and reading within these different filings at this point. And then over time, that that data set's going to increase. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. Rob, I have to admit, I, I'm a little, I'm disappointed that they weakened the board requirement as far as having somebody with real cybersecurity awareness and knowledge sitting on the board. But you know, as far as overall, I think what's got you know approved and, and it's going to be implemented is probably a, a seven out of ten. Yeah. Um, as far as what it, it you know hopefully will make an impact and move the needle. Yeah, I I think I'm close to you there. I'm probably an eight out of ten. The reason I say it is because. At least it's a shift. It's an attempt to improve, make improvements. Um, I agree. I would have liked to have seen you know a seat at the table much more effectively. Um, I think the disclosure period is interesting to see. But if you take a look at the early examples of hey, we're raising our hand to tell you that there's something that's happening, or you know we're we're, we're basically investigating, um, we're aware of it, and we're we're doing our part. So that's a that's a good sign. Um, but again, I think at the end of the day, it's it's going to be. A, I do believe more emphasis and focus on the reality of the cybersecurity, you know, kind of landscape in each organization going forward. It's going to be more difficult to hide it under a bushel. There you go. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, I think let's face it. I mean, if nothing else, it raises the visibility as opposed to all these things that are occurring, especially ransomware attacks that we don't really actually see in the press. Absolutely. Hey, Rob, uh, great talking to you about this again. I think we'll continue to track it, but uh, again, for your, our listeners, go back to the previous episode where we talk about it at the beginning and, and compare to what we are now going to have actually as a, a real rule as in December. Till next time, Stan. Hello, producer Ben here. And the episode that Rob and Stan were referring to just a moment ago is number 57 in the Reimagining Cyber series called SEC Cyber Rules Forcing Boards to Pivot. And it's by no means the first time We've looked at boards trying to anticipate and withstand attacks. For example, episode 12 of the podcast called Colonial Pipeline Fuels the Fire featured Brett Thorson, principal at Plantinium, the cybersecurity arm of Boston Consulting Group. But those tabletop exercises, there's different sizes and kinds for everyone. So we start at the board and we give them a tabletop exercise that ensures they know what the organization is doing, because the board isn't going to be, you know, tactically responsible for a response, right? But they're responsible for making sure the organization has the right tools, techniques, procedures, operations, the, the plan to do it. So ultimately, that accountability rests on them. That was Brett Thorson. Thanks for listening. More from the team at Reimagining Cyber next week. To be first in the queue when the episode drops, follow or subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. Goodbye.